perfect. You are amazing, and you are sovereign over us, and we are thankful for that. Um, we are thankful that you are in control, that you are always there. You have never left us. Nothing surprises you, and um, it is amazing to think about who you are. You are a mystery to us, and yet you reveal us, reveal yourself to us, and that is truly amazing as well. And uh, right now, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to fall fresh on us. I pray that you will lead us and guide us through this text this morning, your word, your perfect word, your wonderful word that you have given to us. We are thankful for it, and we just ask that you open our hearts, open our minds to what you want us to hear and see. Um, I do pray that um, you will use me in a mighty way and that I will not get in the way of your word and uh, that you will speak through me. Once again, I, I thank you. We praise you, and we want to bring glory to your name. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Well, if you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and uh, big surprise, we're in Romans once again. As we've been all year long, um, we are trucking through Romans. So Romans chapter 9, we're going to pick it up. From last week, and uh, we're going to, Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 10, going through 16. So let me go ahead and read that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and follow me along. <clears throat> Not only so that, but Rebecca's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Let me pray one more time. Father God, we thank you for your precious word, and we thank you that you are in this word and that you share yourself to us through your word. And um, we are thankful for it. And um, we just ask that this word of yours, through your Holy Spirit, penetrate our hearts, penetrate our minds. In your name I pray, amen. All right, before I get started here, um, I just want to kind of set something up here. And as you read this, this is a, um, relatively, it, it has caused turmoil in people's lives at times when they read this. And, um, and there's some things that, that can be offensive here uh, to us especially, even to my own self as I read this. But um, I, I think what, one of the things that we need to keep in mind here is our view of God versus our view of ourselves. And this is very, very important that we frame this um, a lot of times, um, the problem that we have when we view God is we humanize him. We bring him down to our level. And we think of God through the terms of us. And what do I mean by that? Um, who is God? Well, God has no beginning, no end. He has always been there. That is absolutely nothing that we know of in this world Right? Everything we know in this world has some kind of beginning and will have some kind of end. 
That is what we look at around us. And so God himself has no beginning, no end. Explain that. Try to wrap your human mind around that. Just that alone is really mind-boggling if we really think about it. Maybe thinking about no end but no beginning. Where did God come from? He's always existed. How did he... This is something we cannot explain. But a lot of times we, we try to put our human attributes, our humanness mind around who God is to try to explain God because that's all we actually know. So God is, God is rather mysterious. He is, he is fully mysterious. And in our humanness, we cannot fully explain him. Um, as we go into the, in the text here, if I could fully explain the doctrine of the Trinity, I can probably fully explain this. And I, there's absolutely no way I can fully explain the doctrine of the Trinity. And so there, there's a side of this that, not saying that we have to take our thinking caps off because it's good to think through these things and God has given us a mind, but there's going to be certain things that we just kind of have to take at faith. Um, the, other, the other side of this is that a lot of times if we de-elevate God and make him more more human, in consequence, we elevate ourselves, and we make ourselves better than we ought. The Bible talks about this thing called total depravity. We looked at it in Romans chapter 3, a little ways back in the, in the year, and the fact is that we are not as good as we think we are. We give ourselves way too much credit as humans of how much goodness we actually don't have. (laughs) And so that is the other side of it, is that we are totally imperfect. We are self-absorbed. We are self-seeking. None of us will seek God on their own without God's intervening. That's how the Bible talks about it. And once again, there is somewhat of a mystery there. But there is truly nothing good in me or you in our humanness. That, that's, that's the reality of it. That's how the Bible talks about it. And so, in view of those two things, as we run into this scripture, we need to keep those things in mind. Of how good God is, how perfect he is, how amazing he is, how we really, truly can't understand him, and actually, that we're not as good as we think we are. And it really does come down to our perspective. Um long time ago on this earth scientists used to think that the sun revolved around the earth that's not true is it but it's amazing how even back then we as humans have put ourselves at the center of the universe right now there's a group of people that believe that the earth is flat the Flat Earth Society. Has anybody ever heard of these guys? If you go to their website, and this is very ironic, it's not lost on me, that they, they tout that they have charters all around the globe. Just saying. <laughs> Pretty ironic. And so it really is 
from what perspective are we looking at things? I can look out here right now and say, yeah, the earth's pretty flat. We know that it's not flat. And there's ways of proving that. But from our perspective, from here, it does look flat. And so that's all I'm going to ask as we get into this text, that we keep an open mind of who God is versus who we are and try to, try to wrap our minds around how big God is and how huge God is and how small and infinite we truly are. So as, as we come into the text, last week we saw, um, and I believe Matt Beachy preached last week, we were on vacation, and um, I got to listen to it um, on the podcast, but um, Matt Beachy um, brought uh, through, the, through the text here, there was a couple stories, and it, we come into verse 10, and now we come to the story of Jacob and Esau. And um, if, if you know anything about Jacob and Esau, it is uh, out of Genesis chapter 25 through 37. If you want to go back to read that, it's great. I, I read that this week just to, just to re-familiarize myself with the story. And, um, but it's a, it, it's a story of, of two twins, of a set of twins. And um, verse 11, it says, And yet before the twins were born or had done anything good, or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now this is, this is kind of wild to think about it, because in most cultures, the older will actually serve the younger. The older is the one that's kind of set up and carries on the family line. Even, you know, even today, you know, a lot of times it's the older son that will take over the business, if you will, right? Not all the time, but, but a lot of times. And uh, the older will kind of lead, lead into there. But uh, before there was anything that happened here, before they were born, before there was anything that they did, good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, God ordained, God said, the younger will actually lead and rule over the older. What do you think about that? Kind of makes you scratch your head, right? Like, what in the world is this all about? And once again, as I said earlier, we need to kind of take our, our view of God in our human terms out of this. But we look at this and it says, in order that God's purpose, his purpose is what's driving this. And, 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 and our, once again, in our humanness, we can't always understand this. And I readily admit this, there's a mystery here that I can't fully explain even in my own mind. But if we look at Ephesians chapter, chapter 1 even, verse 5. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure 
and will. Um, there's something here. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, his will is the ultimate, and mine isn't. And I could prove that to you right now. Um, Keith, back in the, when we started, when we merged, we had these fluorescent lights. We just put these lights in. But Keith had a, a huge ladder, and it made me really nervous watching him get up on that ladder to change the light bulbs up there. Uh, this ladder reached all the way up to the ceiling here. Well, almost. Keith had to be, like, at the very top of the steps, as, and, and I'm, I'm holding the bottom of it. Eh. Uh, I could prove that my will is not ultimate right now. If Keith would bring that ladder out, and I would climb all the way up to the top of it and say, I'm going to fly and jump off it, what's going to happen? I'm not going to fly, am I? <laughs> the law of gravity is ultimate over my will. <laughs> the law of gravity, which is ordained by God, which God put in place in, in creation, right? And he controls that. As much as I say that I'm going to fly, I have no way that I'm going to do that over, over the law of gravity. Even if I own my own house, right? Even if I have my mortgage paid off, and I decide, you know what, I will that I'm never going to pay property taxes again. What's going to happen? I'll get my house, quote unquote, my house taken from me, right? Because even though it's my house, it really isn't my house because the government can take it from me if I don't pay taxes. So ultimately, my will doesn't really matter in that, does it? My will over gravity. My will over what I want to do with my money doesn't ultimately matter. And in, in a lot of ways, we, uh, we have a hard time understanding uh, how God works in this. But those little examples right there, they're true, aren't they? My will is not ultimate over certain things in this world. In the same way, God's will is over my own will. Now, hear me in this. I know, I know this can get a little bit like, what is he talking about here? This is, this is how the Bible talks. This is, this is how the Bible talks. Um, we, uh, we see, once again, going back into Ephesians, that... Ephesians chapter 11, or chapter 1, verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, of God, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. That's an amazing statement from the Bible. That's an amazing statement from the Bible. Why does God choose me before the foundations of the world? Well, as we saw in verse 5, in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Because it brings him pleasure 
and because he wants to. And sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. In 11 and 12, it says, We were chosen by a plan of him who works out everything to the purpose of his will in order that we who are the first in to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. So it, it brings him glory as well. So these are his purposes. These, these are part of his purposes is that because he wants to, it brings him pleasure, and it brings him glory. Once again, when we start thinking about God, we need to take the side of of us thinking as him as a human out of this. And if you notice here, it's not because he he picks one over the other because of something they're going to do. It it literally says, it not by works, but him who calls, by by God who calls. Um, Before they did anything bad or good. And this isn't God just, I, 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 I believe that God transcends time, but I don't think God looks at us down the road and says, well, okay, Matt, you know, he, he's going to do this and do this and do this, and so therefore I'm going to do this. And um, yeah, you know, he, he's, he's, he's basically a, an okay guy, and he's going he's gonna to do this, so that's why I'm going to call him. No, the, the language here is very clear. He calls us way before we do anything. It is not contingent on our good works or our bad works of him who calls us. Um, back in the day, in elementary school, we had this thing called dodgeball. Anybody ever play dodgeball? I got picked last almost every single time. Why? Because I sucked at it. Nobody wanted me on their team. Right, I was always the first guy to get hit with the ball. I was, I was, I was not very athletic. I'm still not. So why in the world would anybody want to pick me? No one would. God does not pick us in that terms. God doesn't look at me and say, "Hmm, I need Matt on my team." Why? Because God doesn't need any of us. God absolutely does not need me. He absolutely does not need you. And I know that for the human ego, that's hard to hear. Because, well, you know, man, maybe, maybe God picked me for this reason. No, God didn't pick you for a reason other than it's his pleasure because he wanted to and it's for his glory. That's his purpose. It's not because I'm going to raise him up and he's going to be this great man no, he, he will use us, but it's through his power that he uses us. In my weakness, his power is made perfect. And so this idea that God needs me, he's not my Uncle Sam. Remember, I don't know if uh, you ever seen campaigns from World War II and you had these big posters at Uncle Sam up there and saying, we need you, Right? That's not, that's not how God operates. God absolutely does not need me. He does not need you. And yet, he decides to choose us from the beginning of the time. Before the foundations of the, the world, he 
chooses to save us. Once again, it is a mystery, but God doesn't need us. You know, there, there's, there's even a, um, somewhat of a theology out there that God created us because he, he was lonely, and he just wanted to, you know, he didn't need to create us. He did, absolutely does not need anything from us. And yet he chooses to create us, he chooses to love us, and he chooses to save us. That's amazing. And in my mind, I can't wrap my head around why, but once again, his purpose of, because he wants to, it brings him pleasure, and it's for his glory. So as we wrap our heads around this, as we, as we try, to, try to understand this in our, our humanness, which we've, I don't think we can truly fully understand, we get into 13, and 13 says, just as written, and this is from Malachi, just as written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. This is a shocking statement. This is a very shocking statement. Just as written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. I'm going to ask you uh, this question. And, and I think when I said this is a shocking statement, most people are like, yes, it is. What's so shocking about it? What is so shocking about that statement? And depending how you answer it's how you view God and view us in light of God. Yeah, yeah. Is it, is it shocking to me that God hated Esau? Or is it shocking to me that, Jake, that, that, that God loved Jacob? The status quo of us being born in this world under sin, it shouldn't shock us that God hated Esau. Because by nature, we are objects of wrath. What should be shocking to us is that he actually loved Jacob. Why in the world would you love Jacob? He was nothing but a scoundrel. His name actually means deceiver. The fact is that under our sinful nature, God, God can righteously bring punishment and separation to us from him. That's the reality of this life. That's the reality of our relationship or non-relationship with God Almighty. Once again, depending how we look at things, this, this, this statement is definitely shocking. But it should shock us that God actually loved Jacob. Jacob. 
So when we look at this, when we look at this shocking statement, um, just, just taking it, there's, there's like three, three different sections here, and I want to kind of look at the three different sections. So, so just as it's written, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing this out of a, quoting a scripture out of Malachi, Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, just so, just so you have a reference if you want to look at that later. But Paul is writing this, he is the Apostle, so he is, God is giving these words to him, and he is writing this down, but he is doubling down with Scripture from Old Testament. And so where's the authority coming from? This is the authority of God. This is coming straight from God. The Word of God. Jacob, as I said earlier, the deceiver, a con man, a guy who tricked his brother out of his birthright, out of, a, out of a blessing, you know. He did two things. If, if you want to look at that story, I would encourage you to go read it. Um, younger than, than his uh, older brother. That's who Jacob is. And, and it's interesting that Jacob is put first here. Doesn't put God. Doesn't put God. It says Jacob. So he's he's kind of the the focus of this. Of this Jacob. And then I. Who's I? God. God the Father, um, Almighty Lord. And then loved, chose to set affections on. Um, and nothing to do with Jacob. Once again, God set his affections on Jacob, not because of anything Jacob had done or didn't do at this point. He chose him because of his perfect will, and once again, it pleased him to do this. As we see in verse 11, it had nothing, nothing to do with his works. And I want to take a moment here just to kind of take a, 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 a look at some of God's loves. Uh, there's two, two loves I can think of off the top of my head. There's a common grace, or what we would call common love, um, for all of mankind. God's general love for all of us. So um, I believe in Matthew, it, it, it's, it talks about how um, the rain will fall on the righteous or the unrighteous, right? So even, even those that don't know the Lord, that are unrighteous, that ultimately are God's enemies, God still allows them to have blessings in this world. These temporal blessings, if you will, right? Temporal love. So he allows them to have children. He allows them to to have a life. You know, sometimes we ask the question, why is it these dirty scoundrels that we know at times actually seem like they're having some kind of favor, right? Well, there is God's common grace, common love that is poured out upon the, all the world, even as we speak right now. I don't believe this is the, the love that he is talking about here for Jacob, though. Um, then there is a second type of love, the saving grace that God gives us for God's saving, saving love for the elect. And I believe that this is the type of love that, that uh, he is talking about with Jacob. He chose to set his affections on him. He chose to bring favor to him, um, to favor him over his brother. And so... Um, we, uh, we see this. Um, 
you know, God's special saving love, if you will. Um, Romans 8.29, we just looked at that a couple weeks ago. Um, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So um, we see that he foreknew, and I don't, once again, I, I don't believe that this is a, he looks ahead in time and says, I can, okay, I know what this guy's going to do, and so therefore I'm going to predestine him. No, I don't believe that's, that's it at all. It's not foresight. It is the fact that he foreknew, and he, he brought that upon. Um, you know, down the road here, we'll be looking, but Romans 9.15, mercy upon whom I have mercy on. It is, it is about who God chooses to do that. Um, in uh, Acts, let's see if I can find this real quick. Acts. And once again, the Bible, the Bible uses this language all over the place. But Acts chapter 13, 48. Um, I'm not going to have you turn there if you want to. You're more than welcome to, but write it down. When the Gentiles heard this, salvation, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Notice it didn't say, and all who believed were appointed for eternal life. There's a very specific order here. All that were appointed for eternal life then believed. Once again, this, this offends my, at times, my human ego because I think I ultimately can choose and not choose things. This is something that the Bible talks about all the time in, in this type of order where God has chosen us and where does our belief come from? It, it comes from God himself. Um, I will say this, that, and, and, and we're leading up here to a question that we'll be asking here shortly, but we'll say this, that we have no comprehension on how much God loves us or how long he has loved us. We have absolutely no comprehension on that. And you, you're like, well, okay. But that is, to me, a very true statement. As we look at this, God has set in motion before the foundations of time to love me and to love you if you have put your faith in Christ. That's truly amazing. That's truly an amazing statement, that he would have done that for us. Uh, another verse, Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen. But we ought to always to, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, through belief in the truth. Once again, scriptures are loaded with this type of language, and it it really does. Once again, there's a, there's a mystery here, and I readily admit that. And I would encourage you, maybe this is the first time you're hearing this kind of thing, 
to, to wrestle with it. To, to ask God to, to, to help you understand it. At the end of the day, I don't know if we can fully understand it in our humanness. So then we get into Esau I hated. And um, once again, uh, all I can say is I, I truly do believe this is what it says. Um, I take this at face value. Um, some, some people would um, think that this would say that he just loves Jacob a little less. I, I don't think that in the context of this verse, as we look through this, that this, what, this is actually what it means. If you look at the Malachi, um, I, I believe it, it really does mean to detest or the opposite of love. That Esau, I hated. And once again, I, um, when I say the word hate, that's a strong word, right? And we usually put that in human terms. And we'll put the human element into that when we see this. We have to remember that this is perfect God, Lord Almighty, and He cannot cohabitate with anything imperfect, with my sin. And so it is actually righteous for Him to hate evil. And it is not a it is not a unrighteous hatred. This is a a, a justified hatred, if you will. Does that make sense? And so, holy God hates everything contrary to his holy nature. Once again, I, I'll remind us, in Ephesians it says, we, by nature, were objects of wrath. And we're all born under that. The wrath of God, perfect, righteous anger, and it is anger, and it is perfect, rests upon the sinner, not just the sin. What do I mean by that? Well, if, if we have not put our trust in Jesus, if we're not a believer in what Jesus Christ has done for us, and we leave this earth, what's going to happen? complete separation from God. We actually have complete separation from God now as it stands, but it'll be very evident in, in the hereafter. And that is totally, totally fair and totally righteous. But notice it's not just his sin being separated from God, it is actually him himself or herself being separated from God. The total punishment is justifiable and is right. And once again, I know as a society, we don't like to hear that. We don't hear that very often. But that's the reality. That's the reality that God is an enemy of ourselves if, and just ourselves, just our humanness, because of our sin. We are an enemy of him.
John 3, 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. One example of, of what the Bible says, of what I just talked about. The fact is that the wrath of God, the punishment of God, the separation from God is there and is justifiable. So once again, going back to my first statement about this statement, it's a very shocking statement. But the fact that him hating Esau should not be shocking to us if we understand the holiness of God in our condition in sin. We are actually an enemy of God. And God has declared war on us, if you will, before for something very justifiable in, in, for, from him, his point of view. It's because we have, we have had cosmic treason happen in this world. We have committed treason against Almighty God. Would we say if someone would commit treason against the United States, it would be fair to bring the death penalty against them? I think so, right? In the same way, every single one of us, because of our sin, has committed treason against God. And therefore, we deserve death. Separation from God. So as I was reading the scriptures as I'm talking and explaining some of these things. There is a mystery here. There is a mystery here, and I, I, I readily admit it, and I, I still can't completely comprehend it in my, own, in my own humanness. Do we choose God, or does God choose us? The correct answer is yes. <laughs> you may be like, what? This is how the Bible talks about it. There is man's responsibility, and yet God's sovereign choice is at play here. There is an aspect of the holiness of God that finds the sinner terrible in his or her sin. God's wrath is, is being poured out on us. And, and, and God is angry with you as a sinner. And, and so what, what is salvation all about? Salvation is actually salvation from God himself. Only God can save us from himself. Let me read that one more time. Only God can save us from himself. In other words, the mercy of God can only save us from the wrath of God. And it's the wrath of God that makes the mercy of God have great value to us. He is totally justified in not saving anybody at all. Totally justified in doing that. He didn't have to save anybody. And so... As, 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 we, as we keep reading this, and I, and I think the implications here, you know, because as I was reading some commentary, there's some commentary that would lighten this and say, ah, this isn't actually what he's saying. I truly believe this is what he's saying. This is one reason I'm preaching it this way. 
Um, but the question that is followed up from up to this point where Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated, in 14 it says, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? So, so Paul raises this question then. So basically, are you saying that God is actually fair? Is God fair? What shall we say then? Is God unjust? And, and Paul's answer to this is no, not at all. This is, this is one of the strongest, uh, in the Greek language, the strongest no, by all means no. He is completely, completely just. If we want fair, if we're going to be honest about it, if we, and, and we, we like to say life, life, life should be fair, right? Um, you know, one of the first things I learned when I went to kindergarten was that life isn't fair. I didn't get to be the line leader all the time. But if we truly want fair, by the way, we don't want fair. If we truly want fair, then every single one of us would be in hell right now. Because Christ came to die for me in my place for something that I deserve. That's unfair. The mercy that God extends to me, the grace that he gives to me, is unfair. Because Christ had to deal with my junk. Christ had to take on my sin. Christ had to take on my penalty against God, the Father and became totally separated and led him to a death, death on a cross. And in the moment before he died, physical death, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God, the Father, turns his back on his only son to separate himself from him so that my sin your sin can be taken on Christ to be crucified. That's, that's the unfairness of the gospel. We don't want fair. We want mercy. And so Paul once again goes into scripture and he says, God says, he says this to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And once again, this is God's sovereign mercy and compassion at work. Mercy is action. Compassion is his attitude towards us. God doesn't owe us anything at all. He doesn't owe us mercy at all. If only one person, if he chooses only to save one person, that is an amazing miracle. Think about that. I mean, no one deserves it. Not one. And yet, he is saving people right now. That is his mercy upon mercy, his compassion upon compassion that is being poured out into this world right now. That's amazing. 
he loves us that much that he is pouring out his mercy. He is pouring out his compassion, even though he absolutely doesn't have to. Why? Because of his perfect will, his plan, because he wants to, because it brings him pleasure, because it brings him glory. This is, this is really one of the most loving truths out there. That he is having mercy upon whom he has mercy and compassion upon who he wants to have compassion. Remember, while we were still enemies, Christ laid his life down for us. It is not contingent on my goodness or my, my badness or God looking at me and saying, ah, I want you on my team. This is all because he just wanted to. That's amazing. I want to I remind us that God has more to do with my salvation than I do. <laughs> Not only does he make, you know, doesn't, he doesn't just make a way, but he, 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 he does something. He, he, he changes who I am so that I can even, even know I need him. Um, verse 16 it, salvation, does not therefore depend on man's desire or will or effort, but on God's mercy. This is amazing. This is an amazing statement. I just want to direct us back to Romans chapter 3. And if you don't understand total depravity, then you really can't understand this. And so I just, I just want to take us back to chapter 3. Just, just take a little tour there of what... God says who we really are. Specifically, specifically, 10 and 11, as written, there is not one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Just that statement alone, right there. Who seeks God on their own? No one. Our sin has corrupted us so badly that there is absolutely no one on their own is going to go find God. That is how bad sin has corrupted us and who we are. And so therefore, it's, it's, it's the goodness of God's sovereign will that overcomes the resistance of our fallen will. I'll say that again. It's the goodness of God's sovereign will that overcomes the resistance of our fallen, sinful will. God gives us this gift of faith. You ever think about where my faith even came from? Is it just something that I conjured up my own self? Like, you know, I just... You ever, you ever think about when... You know, I, I've sat in church for most of my life, and I, I've seen... People just kind of eyes glaze over when the gospel's presented, and they just kind of yawn and get up, and no big deal. But then there's another person right beside them that their heart is stirred almost to tears, and that message just changes them. What's the difference? Is it because the one guy's smarter than the other guy? 
No, I have to believe that God's spirit is working in that heart, in that mind at that moment. And so the fact is that God, he is the source and object of our faith. It comes down from God so that we can have faith in God. Jesus, in Hebrews 12 too, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. The author of our faith. Where does it come from? It comes from Jesus. Repentance comes from God. It talks about in Acts, and there's a couple other places where, where the Gentiles were granted, you know, they were amazed, and the Gentiles were granted repentance from God. So the fact that we even have faith, the fact that we even confess, the fact that we even repent comes directly from God, not from us. Because we are rotten to the core. And in my sinful nature, there's absolutely nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing that will lead me to God. Fallen man will never will to believe apart from God's sovereign mercy and sovereign compassion. It's not by man's efforts, doings, by his will, by his good works or merits. George Woodfield um, said this, man has a free will to go to hell, but not to go to heaven. It is only, it is only by God's mercy So, that begs the question, how do you know if you're part of the elect? How do you know if you're chosen by God? And it's very simple. The Bible says, if you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how you know you're part of God's elect. That's how you know that you were chosen by God. Well, then that brings another question, right? At least in my mind it does. Did I choose God, or did he choose me? And I, I, I will say this. I believe I chose God. However, there was something happening in my heart, in my mind. There was something happening in my life before I came to God and before I chose him. Because of my corrupted flesh, my corrupted nature. So, I believe that it was God, before I was even saved, was working in my life. He, he opened my ears. He opened my mind. He, he opened my heart. He drew me to Christ by conviction. He gave me faith. He gave me repentance. I believe that God was working in my, my life before I even knew him. I truly believe that. I believe in my life, but I think the best example that I know of personally, and, um, and this is a dear brother of mine, um, Logan. I, I called him yesterday to make sure I can use his name. Logan, um, back up about 10 years ago, before even Mercy Hill was, before I was even part of Mercy Hill, um, his sister had just uh, tore her ACL for the second time. And uh, I was her youth leader. And so I was sitting in the hospital with her, her family. 
um, her mom and her stepdad and Logan, her brother, older brother, and um, going through the operation, and it was a longer operation because it was her second time she tore her ACL. And uh, the doctors got done. They came in and got, got her mom and stepdad, and they took her back. They took them back for a consultation. And here's Logan. And Logan was one of these guys that I was always nice to. He was always nice to me, but he, there was always seemed like there was some kind of resistance there. He was just like he was polite. He was nice, but never went to church. It was just very resistant. And uh, I, I still remember. I just sitting there, and I just like, you know, kind of like, okay, well, I'm just going to you know. And all of a sudden, Logan just kind of leans up in his seat. He goes, Matt, I got a question. Sure. Would you be willing to have a Bible study with me? What? What? Would you be willing to have a Bible study with me? He goes, I'm just, I've just got a lot of things on my mind, and, and I just, I just, I'm really searching right now. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. So we started having a Bible study. Oh, man. Every week, I think it was Tuesdays at Jitters, and we, we'd sit there for an hour at a time, and we were just systematically going through the Bible. And I watched as he wrestled with God, or God wrestled with him more likely. Probably one of the most willful people that I know of. He is just, he can dig his heels in at times. And he could, you know, I just, I just saw him wrestling with God. And, 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 and not, you know, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And, and at the end, towards the end, he was like, he just had a hard time grasping that, that there's absolutely nothing he, he can do to save himself. It is all from God. That's all about what Jesus has done for him. And all he has to do is believe. That was, that was, that was, that's what it came down to. And, um, Fast forward, and we were, we were actually going to Mercy Hill. We were, we were in the uh, back of a coffee house with about this many people. And I can still remember the morning when he got saved. The morning that he, he let go of his will and let God save him. It's amazing. The thing is, through that whole time, God was the one drawing him to himself. You know, later I asked Logan, I said, what, what even brought you to the place where you asked me to do a Bible study with you? And he goes, I don't know. <laughs> he goes, I just was, I was just compelled. He goes, I don't know where that even came from. He goes, it was like somebody else was speaking as I asked you to have a Bible study. It is amazing. And to me, it is, it is one of the most clear-cut pictures in my own personal life of God grabbing onto somebody <laughs> and saving them. It is amazing. Um, there's, a, there's a picture, a uh, word picture here, uh, of, of this, um, for some people, it, this has been very helpful for me. Um, but, you know, imagine there's a doorway here. And above the doorway it says, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, 
will be saved. And it's a free for anybody. All you have to do is go through this doorway to believe this is the doorway, if you will. And on it. It's free, it's free for everybody. As you go through that doorway and you look back on the back of the door, it says, chosen in Christ before the foundation of time. To me, that's one of the best explanations in a human terms that I can give you. Um, worship team, you can come on up. God's salvation is a miracle. It really is. And it is a miracle from him. Not by works. Not by anything we've done. He doesn't look at us and say, boy, I need you on my team. He just comes in to save us. Um, as as I'm, I'm talking through these things, there's a, there's a couple things that in my mind that this leads me to do, if you will, or to, to bring these things in my life as I look at this doctrine. Um, one is humility. I'm very humbled by this, that why did God choose me? I absolutely don't deserve it. And so this, this should humble us, that, that God chose me for, I'm not, I'm not the star player here. It's not because of, of anything that I can bring to God. It's because God just wants to do it. He loves you. He loves me. The other thing that this should bring to us is worship. To, to praise God because once again, I don't deserve this. And God has done this for me. So this should bring worship to us. The other thing that this brings to me is, is, is a holiness. We are chosen out of this world not to be like this world. God chose me before the foundations of this world to be different. To be conformed to the likeness of his son. Next one is service. Um, we're chosen to serve God. Ephesians 2, 2 9, 10. It says, to, uh, God has chosen us to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So all those, all those things that he is doing through our lives, he, he, he is doing it. And uh, that is amazing. Why would he want to use someone like me? I don't know, but he is. And then five, to share. To share, to proclaim the gospel. This is how he has chosen to save people. By us proclaiming the gospel. We, I, I want to remind people, we, we have absolutely no idea who the elect is. We actually have no idea as, as we go throughout the world, as we walk into Walmart, as we do whatever we do, go to work, we don't have any idea who God has chosen. And so, how does he choose to save people or to bring, bring salvation to them? He chooses to use us in part of that. For us to share the gospel. For us to share 
Jesus with those around us, to proclaim the gospel in our lives. I will, I will even say this. There, is a lot, there are a lot of people here and at the theater that have loved ones that are not saved. Chances are, if God has laid somebody on your heart and you're praying for them, who's to say that he doesn't want to save them and he has given us a heart for them? And it might be part of his amazing plan that we be part of that. And so, even as we pray for people, we know that God can save them. And we just have to plead. It's not like he doesn't want to. Those, those are the five things that I can think of off the top of my head. And there's many more, many, many more things that this, this brings to my life. But uh, those, those are the five things that I wanted to share um, with that. Let me pray, and uh, then we will worship. Father God, we just thank you so much for who you are and how much you care about us. Um, there, is, there is a mystery to how you work and who you are, um, and we, uh, we readily admit that. In our humanness, it is hard for us to completely understand and wrap our minds around who you are. But uh, we do proclaim that you are amazing, that you are awesome, that you are like none other. And we are thankful that you love us and that you care about us and that you have compassion on whom you have compassion. You have mercy upon whom you have mercy. We are thankful for that. And um, we don't want to take it for granted. Once again, we thank you and we praise you. In your name I pray. Amen.